Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God and it contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. Glad you're here today. Glad you're ready to study the Bible with us. And most of our regular viewers know what's coming, but we might have somebody that just stumbled in and wanted to know what Know Your Bible is all about. Let me tell you real quickly. We answer Bible questions or questions that might be answered from the Bible so that you'll know your Bible a little bit better. We let you tell us what to talk about on the program. We've got a phone number, a website on the screen all through it. Use those any time to get in touch with us. Uh, whatever pops in your head that you've always wondered, is that really in the Bible or does the Bible really teach that? Or maybe there's some specific verse that you've always wondered, uh, what's that really mean? We'll try to find an answer for you. If there's something going on in your life or uh, the news that you wonder, uh, wonder what God thinks about that, we'll look in his book and try to find you an answer. So that's what we do on Know Your Bible, which answer as many questions every week as we can uh, possibly answer. And sometimes we uh, get quite a few in and sometimes we get hung up on one or two and let's <laughs> go into a little more detail. But we try to get as many as we can in and uh, Toby Levering and I answer them together. Good morning, Toby. Glad you're back and ready to go. Hi, Steve. We're going to get some answers today and we always start with one for our viewers. I'll let you answer one if you know some Bible uh, trivia, we might call it. Uh, how many times did the army circle Jericho? The Israelites marched around Jericho. How many times? And uh, a little bit tricky here. you got to do a little addition to figure this one out. So we'll give you the answer at the end of the program. Yeah, we're getting tricky with our trivia <laughs> questions here. <laughs> but I warned them. you got to do addition here. So. Math <laughs> yep. so we'll give you the answer to that at the end of the program. <laughs> but uh, we're going to let Toby start the program with a real Bible mine's, question. What's our viewer want to know? as tricky as the trivia. Philipp, does Philippian two, Philippians 2 verse 10 mean every creature ever, ever made, even people who have already died? Well, in my opinion, yes, that's exactly what it means. Um, I do believe every knee will bow at some point. Now, it may not be an actual physical knee, uh, but I believe uh, every person, every soul will bow uh, <coughs> to the authority of Christ at some point. And this idea of bowing the knee comes from Isaiah, uh, a verse, chap uh, well, actually it's prevalent in Isaiah, but uh, chapter 45, verse 23 talks about every knee to me, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. And that was, of course, part, part of the culture at that time, and Isaiah was using that picture. But it carries right over into the New Testament where we understand the lordship and the authority of the Lord Jesus. So yes, everyone will bow their knee at some point to the Lord. Let's read the verse that you mentioned because it says exactly that. <clears throat> Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. So, yes, in my opinion, I, I believe every soul will bow allegiance and, and confess Christ at some point. 
Uh, we just, at this point, on this side of eternity, we get to choose. Uh, but in, on the other side of eternity, on that day, uh, it won't be, even be an option, in my opinion. So, uh, that's Philippians 2, 9, and 10. All righty. I say at the start of the program, usually, that if there's something, that the current events that you wonder what God has to say about it, we'll try to find an answer. This viewer has done that. He wants to know if a, a man living by the sweat of his brow, having to work for a living, does that apply to welfare? Well, that's a current topic, uh, welfare and people not working and getting paid by the government, by taxpayers. Uh, the viewer says, does this, the Bible say anything about that? So let's work on that one. Uh, the sweat of the brow part, I don't really think has anything to do with welfare much. Uh, the sweat of the brow thing is the change between living in the perfect Garden of Eden and living in a cursed world. Is that what that's about? And that's in Genesis chapter 3. Let me read just a little bit there. Uh, Eve received her curse earlier, and then to Adam, God said, uh, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree, uh, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all your days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. Okay, so there's the part of the curse that uh, says, and then later he says, by the sweat of the brow, you'll earn your living, you'll eat your food. Okay, in the garden, they tended the garden, but I don't think that was very hard. I think it was pleasurable uh, work, if you want to call it that. Uh, they didn't have the difficulties of raising food and all that. Food just appeared for them. And then after the curse, you had to fight weeds, you had to fight thorns and thistles, you had to work at it. So that's what the sweat of the brow thing's about. And by the way, that's still true today. I was talking to a farmer the other day, and he was telling me how good his crop was looking, but he said the weeds were giving him fits. And he told me how many dollars he had spent per acre on herbicides and all that, but he said the weeds are still there. He said <laughs> when God cursed it, it's still cursed. <laughs> so that's still going on today. Now, that's the sweat of the brow, the difference between living in Eden and living on earth as cursed. I think more applicable to what welfare might be is the, the what we call the Christian work ethic or what Christians ought to do. Uh, and yes, we have to work to make a living in the sweat of the brow deal. But let's look at Ephesians 4.28. I think that applies more. Uh, Paul told new Christians in Ephesus, he said, if you've been stealing, you got to stop stealing. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work. Christians work. They do something useful with your hands, and you do that so that you can have enough for your family. We know that from other verses, and have something to share with those in need. All right, so he says, Christians, you don't steal. You work, and you work so that you can take care of your family, and you can help some in people in need. All right, that tells us two things. Is Christians are supposed to work if they're able and there are some people that aren't able. There are some people that are in need. So there's the principle. If you're able to work, yes, work. That's your Christian duty. That's the Christian work ethic, we call it, uh, is work. And then you can help some others in need. Now, what's gone wrong is we've taken that Christian personal duty away and handed it to the government and said, government, you take care of anybody that's in need. 
And that always produces problems when we let the government do something they're not supposed to do. Uh, governments are instituted to protect the innocent and punish the wrongdoer, not to provide for the needy. Uh, that used to be done by individual Christians and churches, and we've turned that over to government. And we've got a big mess. But the principle that our viewers are asking about is if you're able, yes, according to God, you ought to be working. Uh, if you're accepting welfare and able to work but not working, then you're not doing your Christian duty, shall we say. So sweat of the brow probably doesn't apply exactly to welfare, but working as a Christian certainly does apply to that. All right. Got what a musical got? question. <laughs> a viewer wants to know, is it sinful to listen to music that isn't church music? Oh, well... Uh, no, the Bible really never makes any such distinction between church music and worldly music. I think you listen to your playlist on your uh, iPod or you listen to the radio or uh, Spotify or Pandora, whatever your means of listening is. Uh, you can tell uh, what they mean by Christian music or church music and what's worldly or secular. Uh, but not all secular music is necessarily sinful. It's just not spiritual. It's just not God-centered. Uh, for that matter, sometimes I hear some Christian songs that I, don't, I think, well, they're not very God-centered there. So uh, you just have to use discretion and good judgment. The Bible never specifically says this or that is Christian music and this is sinful and that's not. You just have to think about what the words are saying and that's where music kind of gets us because we get caught up in the music and we for not really paying attention to the message that's being fed into our brains uh, and music as with any entertainment is puts values and ideas into your heart and so you got to be careful you got to guard your heart whether you're reading a book or watching TV or listening to music you got to be on guard uh, Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23 this is not on your screen but uh, that the the writer of wisdom there said simply this: above all else, guard your heart, because everything you do flows from it. And so, if you listen to music that's uh, uh, negative and pessimistic and just uh, 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 full of, of bad, sinful behaviors and evil and filth, uh, raunchiness, uh, it won't be long till you find those behaviors playing in your life. You just saturate your brain and your heart with that, and that's going to come out in your life. So uh, you just got to be careful and pay attention to what you're feeding your mind. My answer biblically is I think it's fine for you to listen to whatever music uh, you like. And I use the word whatever to reference our verse that we're going to look at, Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Paul said this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And I, I would say any, any of that type of music, it would be great to listen to. It'll feed your mind in a positive way and help you uh, think about the right kind of things. Alrighty, let me check that list again. All True, right. noble, pure, right, lovely, admirable. Got it. That's most radio stations are gone now. <laughs> <laughs> there's, not, there's not much that fits that these days. <laughs> there's a few, but whew, that rules out a whole lot. <laughs>
<laughs> yep, be careful what you listen to. Let me take just a moment to talk about a good way to study the Bible, and that's uh, with some Know Your Bible study materials that we offer you every week. And we found that they're a great way to study the Bible and happy to provide them for you. Uh, we know some of our viewers study the Bible every day and have a routine that they go through and they, they learn more and more over the years. But we know we've got a lot of viewers that just haven't got started in Bible study and that's what this is designed for. Of course, it's a good review for somebody that is a serious Bible student. Uh, we have a lot of those kind of folks that take it and tell us how much they enjoyed it. But if you've never got started in Bible study, here's a good way to do it. Uh, this is very basic. It's a good overview of the Bible. Starts with the Old Testament, the New Testament, and the difference between them. A uh, good way to get started. Good way to form a regular habit of Bible study. You fill out a lesson, send it back to us. We score it for you and return it with the next lesson, and that gives you a little accountability. Uh, helps keep you going. And uh, lots of folks get started in Bible study with these courses. We're happy to offer them absolutely free of charge. Phone number, website on the screen. Use those anytime. Get in touch with us. Say you want to start. We'll get you started studying the Bible. All right. Question about the communion or the Lord's Supper. Viewer says, if non-members attend church, should they take the Lord's Supper? Well, we could read this a number of different ways. Should they? Well, no, they shouldn't because communion is about a disciple and his Lord communing. Uh, doesn't really do anything for a non-member. Uh, there's nothing to really commune with there. So, no, they shouldn't. But uh, maybe our viewers wondering, should they be stopped? Should they be told, no, don't take that if you're not a member? Uh, I, I don't think I'd go that far because, you see, a non-member, a visitor to any place is uncomfortable. They're in a strange place. They, they don't know what to do, perhaps. Uh, if you've never been in a church before, and there are a lot of folks like that, they don't know what's proper, and what do you do here? Uh, do I stand up when everybody else stands up? Do I sit down? Do I do this or that? So if somebody comes in that's uncomfortable already, and uh, this communion comes past, and they say, well, everybody around me is doing this, so I'll do it too, uh, they're already embarrassed, and if somebody jumped up and said, no, don't do that, uh, well, that'd be horrible. So make them welcome, uh, maybe after you get to know them, which if they're visitors and non-members, you ought to get to know them. Uh, after you get to know them and learn a little bit about them, you might explain what the Lord's Supper is and who it's for and all that. Uh, if you do that, do it kindly and gently with respect and all that. Uh, our goal is not to enforce propriety in the Lord's Supper. Our goal is the salvation of people. So if you've got a non-member there that does something that looks a little wrong to you, treat it with gentleness and respect. But uh, the key is understanding what the Lord's Supper is about. Uh, let's read one verse together from 1 Corinthians. Paul says in 11.28, a man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread or drinks of the cup. So you ought to be worrying more about yourself, I think, during communion than who else on the row is taking it. Uh, but put all that together and do the right thing. If a non-member visits your church, uh, help them learn about it, but don't embarrass them in any way. It's my take on that one. All right, need a little history here, Toby. Yeah, I got an authorship question, <laughs> a simple question, a long answer. <laughs> what, what, 
I'm sorry. Uh, the question I have uh, is a different one. What year was Jesus born? Uh, and the answer to that is we do not know. <laughs> Uh, and I know some people say, well, it's the year, you know, 2016, or, and uh, Jesus must have been born since they started the calendar at year zero. Uh, he would have been born 2016 years ago. But, uh, of course, the Bible doesn't have any dates. Uh, we can, and people have tried to put different uh, parts of the Scripture together and kind of come up with a general time. Uh, and most of those that I've studied at least say it seems like he was probably born maybe actually in about uh, the year 3 uh, uh, BC, 3 or 4 um, before when, so they were off a little bit. Anyway, the Bible does not say what year Jesus b was born. It makes no mention of it. So uh, in any case, uh, we don't have the answer, and uh, that's my simple answer. <laughs> yeah. we, we changed calendars is what messed yeah. things up. Yeah. Uh, we've got some history in there about the who was governor and all that, mm -hmm. so we can kind of put it together. But we changed calendars, and people argue about exactly when, and doesn't really matter. Yep. So, so. <laughs> the important thing is We're, not when he was born, but was, that he was born. It was 2016 or 2019 <laughs> yep. or 2000-something ago, but uh, <laughs> he was. We know that much. That's okay. right. That's right. Uh, sinner's prayer. Let's talk about that. Not the sinner's prayer that some people talk about for salvation. This is a sinner's prayer. Uh, I was told that God will not answer sinner's prayers. Uh, what scripture says that? Well, there is a verse that says that, and this is a good Bible study learning tip here. Uh, there's a verse that says exactly that, and let's just read it together on the screen. It's John chapter 9, verse 31. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to godly men who will does his will. So there it is. God doesn't listen to sinners. Problem with that, however, is you can take a verse out of anywhere and prove a whole lot of things if you don't read anything else. Uh, so we look at this verse, and first question is, who said it? Well, a blind beggar said it. Uh, a previously blind beggar. He could see it this time. Uh, well, did he know about who God listens to? Well, he's not a real authority on that. So let's read some more of the story and see if we can figure this out. And when we read the whole story, we see exactly what this guy was saying. And actually, it's a great story. It's a funny story in many ways. Jesus healed this blind beggar, gave him his sight back, and everybody started praising Jesus and all that. And the Sanhedrin, the religious rulers, said, oh man, this isn't good. Uh, so they called in the blind beggar, they called him into court, and they started grilling him. And they said, who healed you? Who is this guy? And where did he come from? And he said, I don't know, just a guy named Jesus. And they said, well, he's a sinner. He couldn't have healed you. And the blind beggar said, I don't know anything about that. I just know I was blind and now I can see. <laughs> and they kept on. They just kept pressing him. Read this story in John chapter 9. And they said, well, we know he's a sinner and sinners couldn't do miracles like that. And this guy says, well, this is an amazing thing. You don't know who he is, but he made me see again. And then he used this verse, which was his logic. He said, we know God doesn't listen to sinners. He listens to godly men. So his logic was, hey, this guy did a miracle, and you're calling him a sinner. That doesn't make sense. God doesn't do miracles for sinners. He doesn't listen to sinners. 
So that's all this guy was saying. And he wasn't giving us a theology of prayer or a theology of who God hears. He was just telling us about his experience. So all that verse says, God doesn't listen to sinners. That's not what it means. We know God hears everything. He hears a sinner's prayer. He hasn't promised to answer them like he has Christians. Christians have lots of promises, and one is that he hears us and he answers our prayers. But that doesn't mean he won't answer a sinner's prayer. In fact, there's examples in the Bible of him answering sinners' prayers. Uh, when a sinner has a good heart and asks something in God's will, for instance, if a sinner says, God, I don't know who you are, I don't know what to do, I don't know how to worship you, uh, give me something in my life that I can know what to do right. I think God answers those kind of prayers. He may put you as a Christian into that person's life. Uh, he may, through his providence, cause things to happen where that person can find the truth. Uh, God answers some sinner's prayer. He just doesn't promise to answer all of them is the right answer to that, I think. So, no, people tell you that God will not answer sinners' prayers. Uh, he hasn't promised to answer all sinners' prayers or all of their prayers, uh, but he can and will if it's in his will. All right, let me talk about the churches of Christ that support this program for just a minute and invite you to visit the Church of Christ. If you look at the opening and the closing, you'll see the mention that we're produced by the Northside Church of Christ in Wichita, but we're kept on the air by lots of other churches of Christ around the country, and one we like to mention is the Eastwood Church of Christ over in Hutchison, Kansas. Jimmy Ray Mead's the minister there, great guy, and uh, interesting to listen to, and I know you'd enjoy <coughs> meeting him and the folks there at Eastwood, great bunch of folks, and uh, have a good relationship with Know Your Bible. Uh, they're right across from the state fairgrounds, so easy to find there. Uh, if you're up there for the state fair, maybe you drop in and visit them on Sunday. Uh, but uh, maybe you know somebody that attends the Eastwood Church of Christ. Uh, tell them you appreciate them keeping Know Your Bible on the air, and you heard about them on it. And uh, visit them if you're looking for a church home. You'd be warmly welcome. Of course, any broadcast area you're in, uh, there's probably a Church of Christ close to you. Drop in and visit them sometime. Tell them you heard about them on Know Your Bible. All right, tell me what's up here. Okay, your wants to know, and they ask about giving. I don't know the principles of giving. What are they? Well, that's a good question, and uh, there are different principles spread out over different places in the Bible. So I'm going to give you a few references, and you can write these down and look them up for yourself. A few to consider. <clears throat> in Matthew chapter 6, verses 2 through 4, Jesus said that giving was a private matter. Uh, when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets, uh, but do it in secret. He used the phrase that I've always liked, uh, so that the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. And what he's saying there is just uh, make it a very private matter so that God, when, when God who sees the things that are done in secret, he sees a person giving in secret, he knows that's done from pure motives and a pure heart, not looking for recognition or accolades. But uh, So giving is a private matter. It's between you and the Lord. Uh, <clears throat> secondly, in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, Jesus said, It's more blessed to give than to receive. Uh, uh, giving 
is a far greater thing than receiving. And I think it makes you grow spiritually. It helps you mature. It helps you understand the nature of God, who is a giver, much more uh, than, than receiving does. We like to receive, uh, but it's giving that really blesses us. And then <coughs> 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, uh, Paul wrote, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also give, uh, reap generously. Each of, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So uh, we know there's an attitude that should be in our giving. It's a measure of the heart, and it's, it's about um, the disposition, not just the amount we, that we give. Uh, and so we should uh, see it as an opportunity to, uh, to grow, and we should love to do it. And I think the more that we know our Lord, uh, the more that we will. Let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7 together. Since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in love that we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. And I think that's just a good point. We should grow in it. And no matter where you are, if you've never given anything, give something. If you give something sometimes, try to give regularly. If you give regularly, try to grow into tithing. Uh, try to grow into sacrificial. Whatever level you are at, uh, if you'll grow yourself and push yourself, uh, you'll find that you'll grow closer to the Lord and you'll have a deeper faith and trust in Him and you'll learn the true meaning of what giving is all about. Good good counsel there. All right, is the Bible for or against <coughs> reincarnation? Well, if those are my only two choices, I'm in trouble <laughs> because the Bible isn't for or against uh, in one sense because it doesn't say anything about reincarnation. It's, I guess you'd say it's neutral on the topic. Reincarnation is a creation of man, some Eastern religion philosophy that we have a, a spirit that once the body it's in dies, the spirit comes back in some other body. And if you've done good, had good karma, I guess, you come back as a higher level thing. And if you don't, you may come back as a mosquito or something. So, um, no, all that's some man dreamed that up and it's not in the Bible. Uh, so the Bible's neutral, but it's against the philosophy. So yes, it's against reincarnation. It just doesn't talk about it. But it tells us how things really work. That's what the Bible does. So let's settle the reincarnation business by reading Hebrews 9.27. The writer of Hebrews said it's really simple, folks. Uh, no such thing as reincarnation. It's appointed unto men to die once and after that, the judgment. So if somebody's telling you about reincarnation and coming back as another creature, all you got to do is look at Hebrews 9.27. No, I'm going to die once, and then I'm going to the judgment. I'm not coming back as a sacred cow or anything else. Die once, then the judgment. That settles it. All right, let's make sure we get our trivia question answered today, and that's about uh, uh, the circling of the... Uh, City of Jericho, great Old Testament story, and a famous one, uh, favorite one for Sunday schools to act out is <laughs> the kids marching around the city and making it fall down. They marched around 13 times. And some people say, whoa, I thought it was seven. No, that was on the last day. They marched around once a day for six days. 
And then on the seventh day, they marched around seven times. So you add all that up, they marched around 13 times and made the city fall down. Of course, the marching didn't make it fall down. God made it fall down. So that's that story, and uh, you can read that back in the book of Joshua. Glad you've been with us today, and uh, hope we've answered some of your questions. We're going to come back next week and try to answer some more of them. And uh, so come back then, and we'll, we'll get to yours, hopefully. We thank you for being with us. Till next week, you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.